just thank you for this day and the opportunity to look at your word. We ask you to help us see what you'd have us to see from, from these Proverbs and that you will guide and lead and and just give us the strength to, to see what you'd have us to see. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Proverbs 27, starting at verse 1. Boast not yourself of tomorrow, for you know not what the day may bring. Let another man praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. A stone is heavy and the sand weighty, but a fool's wrath is heavier than them both. Wrath is cruel and anger outrageous, but who is able to stand before envy? Open rebuke is better than secret love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. All right, let's start with those first couple of verses. It says, boast not of tomorrow, for you know not what the day may bring. And that is basically God is saying, live for today. Uh... And too many people always plan on tomorrow. A lot of people spend their entire life planning on doing things when they retire, and then they retire and they can't do what they want to do for whatever reason. They don't have enough money. They don't have enough health. They don't have you know, enough free time because the grandkids are always there. You never know what tomorrow is going to be. And, and God is saying, live in the now and not the past and not the future. And this is important, and we've talked about this. God is the God. He says, I am that I am. He's the God of right this moment for us. There's people who live in the past. They can't get over the things that they did wrong or right. Uh, it can go both ways. You know, Usually it's what they did wrong. They can't get over and forgive themselves. But some people are living in past glory. You know, I remember when <laughs> everything was good and everything was bad. You know, everything was good and, and, everything, and everything went right. And now today, nothing goes right, you know, and they, and they ruin today because they're always thinking about the past, or they're always thinking that tomorrow will be the day that things happen, and God is saying, don't even boast about it. Don't, don't be thinking about it that much. It says, let, not a, let another man praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips, and we've all met people who like to praise themselves. They're the, they're the best thing that ever happened to this world, uh, the best thing that ever happened to the town, the, the church, the, the work, whatever it might be. There's always somebody who is the all and end all. And, and of course, we all know they're real fun to be around. And they're being fairly facetious there. We know they're not. They're, they're always bragging. They're always boasting. And usually they're making it louder than it really is or better than it really is. And, and God is saying, you know, let others be the one that lifts you up, gives you praise, and stay humble when they do that. Because even then, it's easy to get proud of the fact that you're being praised. It says, a stone is heavy and the sand weighty, but a fool's wrath is heavier than them both. And this is talking about, you know, the hard work. If you've ever moved stones around, you know that even little pebbles, when you start shoveling enough of them, they, they add up, and sand is, sand is a lot of work. And fool here is a different word from fool than we've been looking at. It's used, used in the Bible 26 times, and it literally means one who despises wisdom, mocks when guilty, is quarrelsome and licentious, or very sinful. They, like, they enjoy the, the sin. And this is, so it's not just a fool who's ignoring God or, or a dull person. I mean, but somebody who despises wisdom, mocks when guilty. Have you ever met somebody who mocks when they're guilty? They try to make it your problem, they not, not theirs. They call no. it contempt of court. Well, contempt of court, it's... If you do it's, court, I mean, you mock the judge. You know. we, see it in, we see it in politicians a lot. 
you know, here's a problem, you're responsible for it, and they deflect it and say, well, no, this person is making up stories, you know, and it's, and we're seeing it even in this whole thing with the Planned Parenthood videos, you know, they're, they're trying to deflect it. It's, it's not, you know, not Planned Parenthood, it's these people that did these videos. They've, they've, they've edited them in such a way that they are making them look worse than they are, which is probably true, that's part of editing. Uh, but they're still very harsh in, in, in and of themselves, but the way they're, they're trying to defend it is to blame somebody else. And we've all seen that happen amongst people. You know, it's not my fault, it's their fault. You know, Adam and Eve did it in the Garden of Eden. You know, Adam said, it's not my fault, she gave it to me. And, and Eve said, the serpent gave it to me, you know, did it. We as humans always want to mock, point the finger some other direction. I'm not the guilty one, it's somebody else. And this is what God's saying, you know, it's when somebody is that way, they're a burden to be around. Because you can't even get them to admit that they're wrong and repent or confess their sin because they are going to quarrel with you every step of the way. And that's why you don't want to spend a lot of time dealing with that, that kind of person. It says, wrath is cruel and anger is outrageous. And this is... Outrageous has this picture of water flowing down, overflowing the dam and coming down at high speed. Or we can think of washes when it rains and the washes, even though there's not a lot of water in, some, in the wash sometimes, it's enough to knock people over or even move cars because of the way it's flowing. And this is what it's saying, that wrath is cruel. Anger can be something that knocks people over. And it says, who is able to stand before envy? And remember, we, we defined envy the other, the other day in service. Envy is that I do not take pleasure in somebody else's good fortune. I want, I want it for myself. I'm, I'm angry that they are having good fortune. And this is, when somebody's envious, that's a hard person to be around. Especially if you're the one that got the good fortune. You know? And it's, I've seen it even separate friends where a friend just can't be happy that, some, that their friend got... A benefit and things look good for them and they're going why them and not me and when you're stand, you know it's hard to stand before envy because it just flows over you and there's really no reason for their anger and there's no reason for the the bitterness then it goes on open rebuke is better than secret love and this is kind of an interesting statement secret love number one is how do you know that that there's love if it's kept secret uh, if you really love somebody and you never do anything good for them, you never let them know, it's really not worth anything. The, and we see it in, in, in plays and movies sometimes, the, the secret admirer who's not going to tell you who they are. You know, they make you feel good at first because they're acknowledging you, but after a while it's like, why won't they... Makes they're stalking you. Well, yeah, they're stalking, you know, they're stalking me. Why won't they come out into the open? Uh, what's wrong with them type thing? And it says, an open rebuke, somebody who corrects is better than somebody who doesn't reveal their, their, their love. And the key to this is, true good rebuke only will come from a friend anyway. Criticism will come from enemies. But a, but a friend will be somebody who wants to see you get an improvement in your life. You know, not, not sitting there rebuking you because they're trying to drag you down. Uh, the enemy will drag you down. But even in that, sometimes you can learn. Okay, even in that, sometimes you can learn if you're willing to say, am I doing something that deserves their criticism and their rebuke? And 
It all comes down to what is our attitude toward it. Attitude is a huge issue for with God. Anything done to me, if I have the right attitude, I can deflect it into something good. Anything, if I have the wrong attitude, somebody's saying even something nice to me, I'm going to say, what's wrong? You know, what are they trying to accomplish? Now, if I've got a bad, I'm in a bad mood, bad attitude, it, it doesn't matter how nice somebody is or what's going on, I'm determined that I'm going to have a miserable day and everybody around me is going to have a miserable day because my attitude's not going to accept anything good. If my attitude is good, then pretty much I can, no matter what happens to me, I can turn it. You know, I, I've long time ago learned, you know, I'm going to try to have a good day no matter what because it's in my power to have a good day. All right? I have a flat tire on the, on the, on the way to work or, or going someplace. Well, praise God, I've got two spare tires in my car. Okay? I can get that fixed. Maybe God kept me from getting into an accident or being at the wrong place at the wrong time or maybe it's an opportunity to be able to witness to somebody. I don't, don't know why he's done it, but he's given a good, good thing. Uh, I, I lived in, in Tacoma, Washington, and people would always come out, Oh, look how dreary and, and gloomy it is. Oh, yeah, isn't it wonderful? God, you know, there's no sun to give you a sunburn. It's not going to be hot today. And they're being gloomy and, and depressed. And I'm coming in saying, I'm not going to let the weather determine how I'm feeling today. Okay, and this is one of the things that we want to be able to look at. How is it that we're looked at? It says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Again, this is the same type of thing. Friends give us rebukes because they want to see something, see us do something better. Otherwise, but, it, but the good wishes of an enemy have to be looked at very carefully. What is, what is their goal? What is, what, is their, what is their objective? Verse 7. A fool's soul loathes the honeycomb, but to the hungry soul even every bitter thing is sweet. As a bird that wanders from her nest, so is a man that wanders from his place. Ointment and perfume rejoice the heart, so does sweetness of a man's friend by hearty counsel. Your friend, own friend and your father's friends forsake not, neither go into your brother's house in the day of calamity, for better is a neighbor that is near than a brother far off. So we're going to look at this one. This is some, this first verse 7, the full soul, not a, not a fool, but a full, filled. <laughs> it's hard to, hard to say that right. The full soul. <laughs> Loaves the honeycomb. If you're if you're if you fold, you've just had a great big meal. It doesn't matter how tempting the food is in front of you. You really don't want it, and if you try to make yourself eat it because you really want it, you usually end up making yourself sick because you're already full. And it says, but eat. But if you're hungry, it doesn't matter what it is put in front of you. If it's edible, you're going to eat it. And this has to do with not just food. This has to do with everything that goes on. If we're full of God and, and, and content with God, we're not going to be desiring the dainties of the, of the world and the flesh. We're going to be rejecting them. But it is this whole idea of we reject. We reject the food or we accept it. This is as a bird wandering from her nest, so is a man that wanders from his place. And, and this is the idea that a bird and it's her nest is supposed to be taken care of, for, you know, the eggs in the nest. It's not supposed to take away, go off, and it says we're not to leave what we're supposed to be doing. If God gives us a place to be, we're to stay in that place and perform what it is we're to do. And this is something that's so easy when 
we're doing God's work, Satan comes against us so often and throws a million things at us to make us feel worthless, that we're not getting anything accomplished, you know, and challenging whether we're doing what, what God wants us to do. And it can be any number of things. You know, it could be any number of things. Thing, things will be thrown at us that we would rather do rather than what God has asked us to do. And he's saying, stay. Stay with what you're doing. Stay with what you what God has told you to do. And it's, it's critical for us to be thinking in those terms, staying and fulfilling what we're doing. Ointment and perfume, rejo perfume rejoices the heart, so does the sweetness of a man's friend by hearty counsel. And ointments and perfumes, the sweet-smelling scents, uh, we see that oftentimes in courtships <laughs> from both guys and, and girls. The guys will wear their, their aftershave and their clones. The girls put on their perfume and all these things to attract each other. And, and incense and everything do have impact on people. They can calm people down or if they don't like the smell can repel them flowers yeah, flowers all these things and it says but so does the sweetness of a friend by hearty counsel and this hearty is literally soul they give you deep emotional counsel yeah, and that's the kind of counsel you should be getting from a friend they're not super superficial they know you they know how to talk to you and and when they give you the counsel it's from their heart, and that's what this is talking about, that counsel that comes from the heart that really wants to see, see you do it, be successful. Your own friend and your father's friends forsake not, neither go to your brother's house in the day of calamity, for better is a neighbor that is nearer than a brother far off. And this is the idea of, again, seeking counsel. And we want to have people that we get counsel from. If you've ever been in a place where you've not had counsel and you're doing things on your own, it's so easy to make mistakes. So easy to make mistakes when you're doing it on just what you know. And with the abundance of counselors, and we've talked about this before, many counselors give, make wise decisions. Even if you go with your choice, at least you've had input from other people to say, hey, think about this, you know, you might not want to do this because, and, and you give, give weight to everything they do, and then you make your decision. And it said, don't forsake your friends. Don't forsake your father's friends. Uh, we see when um, the first king of uh, Israel came, Jer Jeroboam or Rehoboam, I can't remember which, you know, uh, of Judah came up. They, this, the people came to him and said, your father, talking about Solomon, taxed us heavily. He, he made us work really hard. And he goes, we would just like you to reduce the taxes. Give us a little bit of, of break. And he went to Solomon's advisors, and they said, yeah, that sounds really good. You should do that. He went to his own friends, and they said, well, you just tell them that you thought Solomon was bad. You thought my father was bad. Just wait till I start ruling. Okay? And that's more poetic language than he put it into, but that's really what he said. Just wait. Sounds like nowadays, huh? Well, it's, again, the idea. Who do you listen to? Who are the advisors you listen to? We're responsible for our own decisions and our own, our, our own follow-through, but... We want to listen to good counsel. And then it says, Neither go to your brother's house in the day of calamity, for better is a neighbor that is near than a, than a brother far off. And this is talking about somebody who likes you, that lives nearby, than a brother who has basically been estranged. And we've all got relatives that are estranged from us that, you know, we wouldn't want to go for them to help for anything because they're just going to look at us and say, it's all your fault or... 
go take care of yourself or whatever. And this is what he's saying. It's better to go to somebody near that loves you and likes you, even though they're not related, than to go to somebody to, to, to impose on a blood relative who doesn't even care about you. And we've all got family members probably in, that, in both camps that love us and don't love us and would care, care or not care. All right, verse 11. My son, act wise and make my heart glad that I may answer him that reproaches me. A prudent man foresees the evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. Take his garment that is surety for a stranger and take a pledge of him for a strange woman. He that blesses his friends with a loud, his friend with a loud voice rising early in the morning, it shall be counted a curse to him. A continual dripping and in a very rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. Okay, this first one. My son, act wise and make my heart glad that I may answer him that reproaches me. And this is that whole idea that we're, to encourage, we're encouraged to be obedient children so that our parents can be pretty happy. The last thing we want to do is do bad things and have our parents look bad. And this, in our day and age, this is going to be harder, though, because what's, what is good is not necessarily what's praiseworthy. And this is going to be harder and harder for us to accomplish. We need to obey God, and that may or may not make our parents and the, and the, and the community pleased with us. This whole idea of political correctness and the world's way of thinking, we, we're going to be running astray of this one a lot. But for me, if my kids are being obedient to God, I'm going to be happy even if the world doesn't think that they're doing what's right. I'm going to be pleased. Now, I know that's not true of every parent out there. There are parents out there that want them to be politically correct and well-liked. But I'm in the opinion that if they're going to follow God, that's what I want. And my goal for my kids has always been that they would become pastors and missionaries and, and work for God because that, to me, is the greatest thing they can do. And I'm not looking for them to be doctors and lawyers and, and you know, be rich in this world unless that's what God wants them to do. I'm very happy if they're serving God. A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. And this is something we all need in our life. When we see trouble ahead, the, the, the simple person just walks right into it. Okay. And it says the prudent sees that there's something coming ahead and, and avoids it. They hide themselves from the trouble. And this is something we want to be careful of. I don't know if you've ever been there, but you, you, where you watch somebody setting a trap for you, you know, even whether it's by words or literal actions or trying to make you look bad. And you see it ahead of ahead, you know, only a dumb person walks into the trap that they, they set. You know, they're not being wise, they're not being being in, intelligent on what they're doing. They're not being prudent. And God is saying, keep our eyes open. <laughs> he doesn't want us to be stupid and walk into every little trap that's out there. And it's important for us as wise Christians that we don't just step on all the, all the traps out there. And during the political season, you see it all the time with politicians. You know, the, the questions are, that they're asked are, are worded in such a way that it's hard to answer correctly without being looked bad. It would be like the question, have you stopped beating your wife? Well, you know, if you've never been beating your wife, you know, of course I have, but I've never beat her in the first place, but you, how do you answer that question? 
You know, if you answer no, you really look bad because it makes you sound like you're beating her. Uh, and if it, but the answer really to that question, if you're not, haven't been beating her, is no. And I haven't stopped beating her because I never started. You know, but you can see how questions can be set up in such a way that you fall into a trap. And that was really general, but I mean the whole idea of are we being watchful? Are we just blindly walking into everything? Are we being very prudent? We see problems ahead of us and take steps not to have the problem. And something that we, God is saying, you know, and this verse, if you remember, we've covered this verse in various forms three or four times already. Uh, this to me means that God really wants us to keep our eyes open and avoid problems. Do not fall into the sins. Do not fall into the traps that are being set for us. And say, God, I'm, I see it. Help me get out of it. I'm going to hide myself from this. I'm going to hide myself in God and let him be my defense in this situation. I'm not going to just keep blundering forward. It's the same idea of doing the same thing over and over and over and over again and falling into the same sin. Well, if I keep falling into the same sin, why aren't my eyes opened up to see that it is a sin and avoid it? And that could be something as simple as avoiding, staying away from the sin. We look at Joseph when he's in Potiphar's house and Potiphar's wife is trying to seduce him. You know, she arranges one day to have the house empty and says, you're going to lay with me, grabs his coat. She's pretty violent. You know, she's grabbing his cloak and saying, you're going to come to bed with me. And he flees, leaving the coat behind. Okay, and you think about this. I mean, he had a pretty good stance on where he was going to stand. You know, he's somewhere between 13 and uh, 17 and 23 at this point because he spent seven years, you know, seven years. He's so he's a young man being propositioned. And not at home, he could have very easily have said, well, what the heck, I'm not home now. You know, nobody's going to know, and none of my family's here, or this is a different culture. And yet he didn't. He stood for God. And he fled and hid himself from the situation. So we want to be able to look at this. God's very always telling us, be watchful, be aware. Don't keep our eyes closed and just wander into problems. Take his garment that is surety for a stranger and take a pledge for him of him for a strange woman. Now, surety is, is guarantee and payment. That's a co-signer of the, of, the, of the loan. And so we're looking at this. You know, he's co-signed the interest for a stranger. Okay. Why would anybody co-sign a loan for a stranger? I have no idea. And God's saying, if somebody is dumb enough to do that, go ahead and take his garment. Other places, he says, don't take the, the garment in surety because it's the person's warmth. Here he's saying if somebody's foolish enough to you know, pledge for somebody else, take it. Uh, and this is the idea of you deserving what you get, deserving, deserving the punishment for doing something really pretty much insane, actually. This next verse is kind of a funny one. He that blesses his friend with a loud voice, rising early in the morning, shall be counted a curse to him. You think about this. This is somebody that comes to your house at like 4 o'clock in the morning and starts yelling all kinds of good things about you. Uh, you're not going to be very pleased with that person, and neither will your neighbors. 
It's a new day. Get up. Wake yeah. up. Not even that, but it's hey, you're really a nice person. You're so good. You you, you treat people that's good. Cool. That's you're, cool you're you're really great. You've done so many good things. And it's four o'clock in the morning. He's waking up the whole neighborhood. Yeah, right. Drunk or something. Well, even if he's not drunk, he's it would just be a dumb thing to be doing. Yeah, it's going to not be looked at a blessing. Yeah, I'm not going to be looking at that as a very blessed thing. You woke me up at at you know early early in the morning to. Tell me all of this stuff. You couldn't wait until a reasonable hour in the morning when we were all up. It continually drop a continual dropping in a very rainy day and a contentious root woman are alike, and that is just basically saying that you don't want to be around somebody who's. It doesn't even have to be a woman. It could be anybody who's contentious, who's wanting to fight, and it, you know when you think about this, a continual dripping on a rainy day. Uh, you know, that constant dripping, a dripping of a faucet that just keeps dripping and drives you nuts. Luckily, I, I'm hard of hearing. I can't hear those things, so <laughs> I have a hard time with this, this thing, but I, I know that there, this will drive some people nuts. The dripping of a sink will drive some people nuts. They can't sleep. They can't, they can't concentrate. And a contentious person is just like that. Somebody who's always wanting to argue, always wanting to fight. And that I can, I understand that statement really well because I've been around people who have just always got to argue with everything. They've got to be right. They're always got to be right. They've got to get the last word in on an on a, on a, on a argument. Uh, even if they're losing, they still have to have the last word even though they know they're losing the argument, but they've got to get that last word in. Uh, you're always wrong. You're never right. Uh, there's, they're just, and if everything is all smooth and, 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 and Clear selling, they've got to have contention. They thrive on contention. And we call them drama kings and drama queens, or, you know, in these days. You know, if everything's going good, they've just got to stir everything up because there's, they thrive on that chaos or whatever it is they thrive on. I'm not sure what they thrive on, but they thrive on that, uh, the energy from the, from the problems, I guess. And I would just as soon be, have nice smooth sailing. I don't like chaos. I do everything I can to prevent chaos. So when I get those type of people, I don't like being around them that much because it is, it's a, it's a irritant. Verse 16, whosoever hides her, hideth the wind and the anointment of his right hand, which berayeth itself. Iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Whoso keeps the fig tree shall eat the fruit thereof, so he that waits on his master shall be honored. As water face answers to face, so the heart of man to man. Hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of man are never satisfied. Okay, whosoever hides her, hides the wind. And this is talking about the contentious woman, I believe, because it fits right after that. And the anointment, the ointment of his right hand, which berayeth itself, and that means to proclaim, to... to to unhide. So it says, whoso hides or treasures her, treasures the wind. To treasure a contentious person <laughs> is like trying to treasure the wind. And the ointment of the right hand, what does right hand symbol simplify? We've talked about this. God. Right hand uh, of God, yeah. The approval. Approval. So the ointment in the right hand which reveals itself. Okay, so we want to be able to say, and it proclaims or reveals. So this is what God is saying. The right hand is going to be looking for something that's good. 
Iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. And if you've ever tried to sharpen something, you either use a steel or what the stone, which is, is the same effect. It's a uh, you know harder harder than the than the knife pretty much. But you know kitchen kitchens use a steel, and you sharpen your knife real quick on the steel, and and it makes it a sharp. It takes the burrs off and sharpens. And it says, this is what men do to the countenance of his friend. We always will end up rubbing against each other and irritating each other. And even if it's a friend, even when you have a good friend, your friend will do things that bother you. They will say things to try to get you to improve. And a true friend is going to try to get you to improve. They're not, you know, a true friend is not going to let you make mistakes and keep making mistakes. They want you to get better. And we do this with our kids. We all want our kids to do better, become better, and be disciplined individuals. And this is that iron sharpening iron. It's true friendship that brings people into a better place. And we want that. We need that. If we don't have somebody that's telling us that we have to improve in certain areas, we tend to get blind to ourselves, don't we? We, we get we get blind spots to ourselves. I do this and I get blind. I, I, I don't realize that I'm doing bad things because nobody if nobody will tell me, then I just keep doing what I've been doing. And it's not a problem because nobody says it's a problem. And I didn't see it as a problem because I'm blind to it. And it could be from upbringing. It could be from not knowing the word of God clear enough. It could be that I'm living in the flesh and not in the spirit. But I need sometimes a friend to say, hey, <laughs> grow up. Get better in this area. And we all have those areas in our life that need friends to, to point out. It says, Whoso keepeth or guards the fig tree shall eat the fruit thereof, so is he that waits on his master shall be honored. And this is just pretty much an axiom. If you take care of a plant, you expect to eat the fruit. <laughs> now, you take care of a tree, you want the fruit. You don't want, you, you don't want to come out one morning and you're, you've been watering this fruit tree, getting the fruit to grow. In your yard, you come out one morning and all the fruit's been picked off of it. Yeah, that would not be what you expect. It's not, it's not right. It's stealing. And you look at it and say, that was my fruit. I took care of this tree. I'm the one that you know, dealt with it. And it says, so is the one who waits on his master shall be honored. And doing God's work is something he will honor. Now, we know in reality... The servants, a good servant is never seen, never noticed, you know, and, and but God notices, and the master notices. The master notices whether you do your job or not, and if you don't, they're going to rebuke you. If you do, they give you great honor and, and promote you within their household, and God is saying, we will get that honor if we serve him. We serve him well and right. As water face answers to face, so the heart of man to man and the only thing I can figure out about this is it's talking about water as a mirror. If you look in smooth water, you see your face, and it reveals your, your face. You see yourself. And this is what he's saying. So a man, the heart of a man to a man. Our heart will tell us who we are. It, can, it, can, it condemns. It, it convicts. It, it tells us, you know, when we try to tell everybody else that we're all perfect and we got our whole life together and our our conscience from our inner inner part of our being is saying, uh, why are you lying to all these people so much? Get your act together. Get get moving in the right direction. And this is what he's saying. Our heart, our heart will be there. God has put our conscience in us. He's going to keep us 
going forward in the right direction. Hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of man are never satisfied. And this is kind of an interesting, interesting statement. Hell is never going to be full. Hell has been created enough to house everybody God needs to put there, and it's never going to be full. Destruction is never satisfied because everything can be destroyed even further. You know, if you want to destroy a brick building, you can knock it down, but there's still chunks of bricks. You can pound those bricks into sand, but you know, and you can keep pounding them into sand, you know, and you can keep pounding them, and there's always going to be something there that can be made smaller. Uh, we look at the atom, and the atom we used to think was the smallest item. Now we know about the quarks and all the and the quarks and all that other stuff that they're made of. And I asked my cousin who was in the team that broke those down. I go, okay, so what good? What, what's next? He goes, well, somebody else will break down what we just broke down into something smaller. Uh, and I'm going, okay, so what's the purpose of breaking this down? He goes, that's for somebody else to figure out. <laughs> you know, but destruction will always sit there to destroy. That's what it does. But it says the eyes of man are never satisfied. We have lust. We have desires. And we will never get to the place where our eyes will be satisfied and that we've seen everything that there is to possibly see and accomplished everything that there is to accomplish. And there's always just something more out there for us. And that's good in one side. It's good if it's seeking something good. There's always something more good out there as well. If we're seeking after bad, that's really bad because we already know it is never satisfied. Sin is never satisfied. We always want more of whatever it is that we're sinning in. You know, whether it be uh, lust or, or sex or drugs or alcohol, we always want more of whatever it is. The, the same amount never satisfies. The sad part is that good can be the same way if we have the right attitude toward it. I've never seen enough good. I want to see more. I want to do what I can to bring more good about and that takes a worldview, change of the world, and say, I want to follow God. As the refining pot for silver and the furnace for gold, so is a man to his praise. Though you should bray a fool in a mortar among wheat with a pestle, yet will not his foolishness depart from him. Be you diligent to know the state of your flocks, and look well unto your herds. For riches are not forever, and does the crown endure every generation? So let's stop right there for a little bit. The finding pot for silver and the furnace for gold, so a man to his praise. They take gold and they take silver and they heat it up and they heat it up and then they take out impurities. In, a, in silver, they put it in a pot and keep it almost boiling so that the dross comes to the top and they take it out and gold has done the same thing except it needs a higher temperature so it's put into a blast furnace and then they skim it and they put it into a furnace again and skim it and it says so is a man to his praise if you're praising yourself it is really that dross that they're that they're looking at you know if somebody's going to just sing their praises all the time there's a problem and this is the hard thing for some people who, who want to not sing their praises when they go to an interview and they have to tell people what, how good they are. I hate interviews because I hate trying to say, this is what I do. You know, because it's so contrary to God's way of, of doing things. And, but it says, you know, our praise is not something we're looking for. We want praise of others. And this is where we want to be. The others give us praise. The others say you're doing a good job. 
If other people, if you're singing your praise and other people are saying that you're not that good, you've got a problem. Now, both of you saying you're not that good, you're, you're at least you're in agreement, you should be doing good. But if others are saying you're good, you don't have to be singing, singing your praises. You just let them say what, say what they want to say. And I love to be able to share how good this church is for, for people and how people are learning in this church and growing in this church. And we're seeing the love develop in this church. Because I remember two and a half years ago when I came here, when, when we didn't church, everybody disappeared very quickly. Now, sometimes I have to leave and just let everybody fellowship and come back and lock the doors. <laughs> because there's people talking and, and enjoying each other and God is elevating the love of this church. And it's fun to see. It's fun to see God coming in, coming in and, and, and building a body of believers here that love each other. So it's great to see that happen. Through, though you should bray a fool in a mortar among wheat with a pestle, yet will his foolishness not, uh, depart, not depart from him. And bray means to pound into a powder. Okay? So though you should pound, in, pound into powder the fool... <laughs> In a mortar, and that's the bowl and the pestle is what you pound it with. So even though you pound the fool, and again, this is the same fool that we talked about earlier on, the one who is mocks when they're guilty, they're quarrelsome, his foolishness will not be driven out. And it won't be driven out because every time you say that they're, they're not doing something right, they're going to quarrel with you. They're going to mock you because you said that they're doing something wrong. And in our world, we see it all the time. Try to tell somebody they're doing, doing something wrong, and what do you hear? Well, by whose standard are you judging me? You know, we have a ton of fools right now. You know, we know that God says they're sinning. You tell them that they're sinning, and they're going to go, yeah, well, who are you to tell me that I'm sinning? I don't accept your, your standards, your morality. We're full of this whole thing, and this means we're getting closer and closer to the end times because that's what God said. In the end times, good will be called bad and bad will be called good, and we're seeing just that happen in our day and age. We're told that marriage between a man and a woman is bad, but any other kind of marriage is good. Now, fornication is bad, but in the world it says fornication is good. Just, just have as much fun as you want. You know, uh, lying is bad and a sin. We're seeing the world is really trying to tell people, ah, just... If you lie, it's no big deal as long as you're not hurting somebody. We see everything being twisted upon its head. And the fools are being crushed in God's mortar and then saying, ah, no big deal. We're not going to give up our foolishness because who are you to tell us that there's a standard? And it's really sad to me because I grew up in that generation that started this whole mess. You know, when I was in school, I remember the whole values clarification things going on, the, the lifeboat uh, examples of you've only got enough food for, for six people, there's eight people in the boat, who are you throwing overboard type deals, you know, and saying that murder is good, you know, because you, the, the ends justify the, the, mean, uh, the means justify the ends, you know, so you do bad as long as good, good happens, you're okay, and that is not what God says. My generation should pack your own parachutes. <laughs> Heck with everybody else. Make sure you pack your own parachute and everybody else's eyes on their own, you know. But this is where God's at. You know, we're saying the fool is going to hold on to their foolishness. Even if you give give arguments, and this goes back to what we talked about last week. You know, we don't answer a fool according to his folly. If that's all they're going to do is sit there in their in their foolishness and they're not going to respond, then we don't answer to them. 
you know, they're teachable and everything. Then we go and we, he says, answer a fool according to his folly if they're teachable. Okay. And I've, I've been on both sides of the coin where I've gone up to somebody and they're not teachable. All they want to do is argue. And you go, and so you answer their, you answer them, and then they keep bringing out the same arguments that are already answered, and then you go, okay, no, it's not worth the time and effort to keep going over the same ground with somebody because they're not teachable. They're a fool that's not going to let go of their foolishness. If they're teachable, then I'll work all day with them to try to help them learn how to think and how to follow God's word. But if all they want to do is argue, it's not worth it. It's just not worth the time. There's too many other things to be doing with our time than to sit there and, and argue. It says, Be diligent to know the state of your flock and look well into your herds, for riches are not forever, and does the crown endure to every generation. And he's basically saying, pay attention to what's going on. Be diligent to your flock. Know what's going on with your flock. Okay, and if we look at that in the business world, it's know what's going on in your business. Uh, and the flock you needed to be tended. Even if you give it to a shepherd, you still needed to pay attention to your flock and say, is the shepherd doing good with my flock? Is, is the shepherd taking care of it? I needed to, the person who wants to have wealth needs to take care of what they own. And this goes down to, we see this, uh, there are many people nowadays that don't want to even rent buildings because when the renters get in, they don't care about the building and they end up having it torn up when the renters leave and eventually they always do and the walls have holes in them and the electric you know like light switches are broken and plumbing has been leaking and you know all the damage has been done and they cost them a lot of money to get the place built up and this happens in businesses too I've seen people that kind of leave their businesses and don't pay attention to the business at all and if they've got the wrong manager there any number of things can happen plus the fact that they could be cheated. And, and it says riches are not forever. Riches tend to fly. If you have money, you know, I don't know if you've ever been in a place where you get a couple thousand dollars or more in the bank, and then a year later there's no money in the, in the bank, and you're going, where did it all go? Well, I used $10 for this dinner. I, I did $30 for this night out on the town. I, I, I did this. I did that. And before you know it, all the little tiny nickel and dimes of, of your money and it's gone. Lack of diligence, lack of opportunity to look at it. And it'll disappear. And it says crowns don't live forever. And this goes into the idea that dynasties come and go. You know, king, kings sometimes get killed out by, by adversaries and have a new king taken over. Uh, sometimes they die because they don't have enough children. Sometimes the children start battling each other and, and kill each other off. But the kingdoms come and go, and they get new kings over time. You see that in Israel, where Israel changed kings so many times. Because God said, you've been so bad, I'm taking you out. And everybody in that generation would go, and a new king would start his dynasty. In Judah, it was always David's, David's kids, because that was the promise that God made to them. He would always have a son that sat on the, on the throne. And he always did. Um... The hay appears and tender grass shows itself and the herbs of the mountains are gathered. The lambs are for the clothing and the goats are, for, are the price of the field. And you shall have goats milk enough for your food and the food of your household and for the maintenance of your maidens. And this goes into this whole idea of riches and paying attention. If we're paying attention, he says, 
The riches aren't forever, but God provides. And that's what it's really saying. God provides. There's hay that, hay that comes. There's grass that grows up. And the herbs of the mountain grow. And basically saying there's always food available for your flocks and for yourselves to a degree because, you know, the herbs and everything are things that people can eat. It says God takes care of you. And if we ever get to the place where grass and, grass and hay does not grow, we're in trouble. And we're going to have lots of famine in that case because there's not... Uh, life-sustaining food but he says it's going to be there and it's always going to be there somewhere it's amazing how grass and weeds and stuff grow you know you you leave a asphalt parking lot long enough and all of a sudden there'll be grass growing in the middle of your your concrete and asphalt pavement sidewalk in the crack every crack will have grass growing in it uh, it's amazing how God's world takes care of itself and it does take care of itself it says lambs are for clothing, producing the wool, and goats are the price of the field. And, and goats are goats had everything in them. They had milk and, and fur and and clothing, and they were they you know they took care of things. And it says you shall have goats milk enough for your food and the food of your household and the maintenance of your maidens. And again, this is if you take if you're diligent and paying attention to what you're doing, you're going to have enough food. If you're lazy and you don't care what you're what your animals are doing on the, on the fields and hayside, and they get killed by the wolves, and they just start disappearing because they go over the cliff, which they like to do. I don't know if anybody knows much about lambs, but they're the dumbest animals in the, that have ever existed. And they get out of sight of who's taking care of them, and they start just buying all over the place because they're three steps out of, out of your sight. You know, they went around a corner, and you can't see you anymore, and they just start... You know, and a diligent, diligent shepherd would be right there. Come on back. Get back over here on where you belong. So when God, God says that we're like lambs, he's not being uh, very kind to us when he says we're like lambs. Uh, you know, and unfortunately, we are very much like lambs. You know, we get out of God's sight or, or, or we think that he's not taking care of us good enough and we start complaining to him. I don't know how many times you've done it. I've done it on, on more than one occasion. God, why are you letting this happen? Or how come this isn't happening? And we all do it. We all do it to a greater or lesser degree at times and, and just uh, seek after him. Well, let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to look at your word. Help us to apply to our lives what, you would, what you're showing us. And, and help us to go forward in Jesus' name. Amen.